Hello, and welcome to Rock, Paper, Swords, the historical action and adventure podcast. My name is Matthew Harfey. And my name is Stephen A. McKay. We're both best-selling historical fiction authors, and together we chat about all things historical and anything that could fall under the banner of action and adventure in books, film, TV, and games. Oh, and we also talk about rock music from time to time. just say right now but um you know some people especially from the states or canada might struggle with steven's accent so if you can't understand him just ask for a translation and i'll do my best as an interpreter well we both we have a similar <laughs> word a boot a boot exactly yeah exactly we uh i did my ancestry.com or whatever that is you know in my whole life it's you know kearns is a technically an irish name but um I knew my my mother comes from Scottish stock. I'm like 66% Scottish. Oh, good. Oh, nice. wow. There you go. So there's nice. that. My, yeah. My grandmother was Scottish, so we're all we're all Scottish. We're all the Scots. There you go. Well, that's, yeah. I'm going to claim you, Todd, because I claim Ang- <laughs> Angus and Malcolm from ACDC. They're Scottish. And, and Bon Scott. Yeah. And Bon Scott, of course, and Jethro yeah. Tull. So that's a, yeah. another one I can add. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Please. <laughs> I'm 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 happily happily in there. Another episode and another musician guest. Todd Kearns, aka Todd Dammit Kearns, is a multi-instrumentalist singer, songwriter and producer. He's most noted for being the bass player and backup singer in Slash, featuring Miles, Kennedy and the Conspirators. And that's a bit of a mouthful for a band name. And for being the frontman of The Age of Electric. While touring the world, playing to sold-out audiences... He's had the opportunity to share the stage with some of Rock's biggest names, including some of his own personal heroes, including Slash, of course, Lemmy, Alice Cooper, Duff McKagan, Fergie, Bill Murray, Sammy Hagar, and many more. Having played with so much Rock royalty, that must make Todd Rock nobility at the very, very least. So welcome to Rock Paper Swords, Todd. Wow, I'll accept that. Rock nobility, sure. (laughs) Certainly. Well, You might be Rock royalty. Royalty, for all I know, you know, I'm just. I, 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 I'm perfectly. I, I don't know how comfortable I'd be with the whole royalty thing. But it's you know, seems fine to be noble. Noble seems just better than being royal, really. And there you go. <laughs> Perhaps I don't know. So tell us so about I, your. Uh, oh, sorry, carry on. Carry I was on. just going to say that's a funny list of people, but but go ahead. Yo, go it's ahead. an amazing list of people, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Bill Murray stands out a bit from the rest. But... <laughs> Bill was hosting a, uh, a well, he wasn't hosting it at all. It was a charity thing that that um, here in Las Vegas, um, um, this uh, Kerry Simon, he's since passed away, unfortunately, but we were had a charity thing for him and Slash, um, Sammy Hagar, Vince Neil, Todd Rundgren, Alice Cooper, this whole list of people came out to play. And someone just kind of casually mentioned, hey, um, Bill Murray might show up. And I go, what you know kind of, <laughs> it's like like you would say that 
no matter what i was like uh, uh okay it turned out carrie and he had been like um roommates back in chicago in the 70s or something like that and i go really and um and they said do you know how to play uh brandy the song brandy you're a fine girl what a good wife you would be and i go no why would i know you they go because because <laughs> bill bill likes to sing that song and i go okay so i literally sat down right there and then went, got out the phone and figured it out a little bit just thought if we ever had to kind of dive into it yeah. but yeah. E even at that point there was no sort of like 100 percent guarantee that bill's going to be here it was just sort of a weird you know something that somebody mentions you don't really think about it that i'm standing side stage watching whoever was probably opening the show and bill murray kind of walks in sort of i'm sort of further back and there's people and and he walks and he's sort of standing in front of the thing and he turns around and looks right at me for some reason and goes oh like as if he's recognized me like, you don't you don't know me dude and he walks over and he shakes my hand and he goes i go are you singing tonight he goes he goes i'm warming up i'm warming up and he just kind of wandered off <laughs> so it was a very strange interaction i just think he saw a rock and roll guy and thought yeah. okay this is somebody i should be talking to or somebody i should i should know <laughs> maybe he thought i was slash i don't know but it was just kind of <laughs> like um very surreal and he was there the whole evening and then he then he hosted the whole evening he 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 we'd be like finishing a song and he'd be at the bar grabbing drinks and he'd go oh and he he'd kind of carry all his drinks back up to the stage all right let's hear you know it was just a very very strange, surreal very yeah. strange yeah he was uh and he was awesome he stayed up on stage the whole time i mean we sang uh i think get a little help from our friends or something like that and and he was on stage singing it it was pretty cool so Excellent. did you do brandy in the end or not he never did it never did it oh happen. no i was <laughs> i was prepared <laughs> it was like uh billy duffy from the cult was there matt sorum was there it was it was a wow. sort of a it was a wild night it was a wild night so tell us about heroes and monsters then it's a great album great musicianship and the final track i thought had a great arrangement it's something a bit different ah. and the first one well, we're just talking about this as well actually the first song as well it, it kind of builds up and you expect it just to go into this driving riff and it never happens but it's all the more satisfying for that, I think. So tell us a bit about that album. Um, it's interesting because I think I was sitting right where I'm sitting right now and I got the call from Will Hunt, the drummer, who I know, you know, just from, you know, playing music and whatnot. Uh, you know, he plays in Evanescence and uh, we have mutual friends and, and that sort of thing. And he just sort of, you know, it's during lockdown, keep in mind. So I'm sitting here a lot back then, you know, just sort of you know, <laughs> staring into the screen and doing whatever I'm doing. And then um, he just sort of said, my friend, uh, Steph Burns and I are knocking this thing around. Would you be interested in checking it out? And I'm going, I'm, I'm literally not doing anything. You know, third consecutive viewing of, you know, <laughs> Game of Thrones or yeah, something. Stranger Things or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I said, yeah, sure, send it on over. And then the first song we put together was the very first song on the record, um, Locked and Loaded. So yeah. it, it was interesting that, you know, like, when you do those kinds of experiments, it's sort of like if you start knocking ideas around and it and it kind of doesn't bear fruit, you just sort of like abandon it, really. You know, I mean, it just sort of it just is nothing personal. You just kind of realize, OK, well, this isn't really um, working for us. Yeah. So you let it go. And then. Um, yeah, so we. It just sort of was worked like that. We just sort of did it back and forth, and I think they they were kind of happy that I played bass as well. And a you know, as a lead vocalist, it's sort of like they because they weren't really sure what they were doing. Do we need to find a vocalist and a bass player and another guitar player, or a keyboard player, whatever? They were they were just kind of like having fun, and then it just sort of 
shaped this whole thing where each, you know, we just did that 10 times and it became, well, we did it more than that because we wrote more songs than, than we kept, but, you know, and then it just eventually turned into the record, essentially, you know, it's like it was, so, yeah, very organic. So that was all, so that was all recorded during lockdown then? And it, it definitely, yeah, it's funny to think about because it's so long ago. Well, it seems like so long ago, yeah, even yeah. though it's yeah. recent history, obviously. But um, but yeah, it definitely came up because I was, you know, I, I did other things during all that. But it was, you know, was it possible to knock out 10 songs with your friends? Absolutely. I was, you know, I, I had the time. So um, and uh, yeah, it just sort of came together very easily and and the fact that it was done remotely was a real experiment for me i had done another project prior to that called minefield with the guys from ace fraley's band and that was mostly just kind of like the early days of lockdown like hey dude are you as bored as i am here's some tracks and just bounce it back and forth and turned it into something and i it sort of really opened my eyes to the ability of remote recording which i think you know in retrospect you know even making records with slash we well, the last record we did with Slash was very live. Like it was one of the most live things I've ever done. But usually when a record is being made, it is being done sort of in piecemeal. In pieces, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so the drums, you, you you deal with the drums and you're usually playing together to get that happening. And then the bass player goes in and does his thing and then the guitar player. And you generally don't, it's not like you're all sitting in a room together going, you know, uh, except for the last slash out was like that. So there are, are exceptions no matter what. And, and, and there really is sort of a, um, it's an interesting conversation because it doesn't really, um, I really couldn't say which is the best way to do it, but, but this was interesting because with heroes and monsters was the trick of like, well, let's, let's do this. And and when I listen to it, I feel like it sounds like a band. It doesn't feel like it some sterile. Does, yeah doesn't feel like a right. sterile weird experiment where we were like never in the same room together I, I had never met steph burns he was in italy while i was in las vegas and and will was in florida i never met steph until we made the videos for raw power is, and let's ride it this is one of the the weirdest things or the or the, the best things i guess about the internet age and the time we live in now is that I, you know i've never met Stephen apart from on zoom we've never been in the same room as each other Isn't we do podcasts together yeah. and we you know we chat every week and we've recorded oh, we've re and well. we recorded we've recorded <laughs> as well so we've we recorded the theme tune for for the podcast yeah, remotely as well emails yeah yeah so doing it's the a same. it's a fascinating it's a fascinating thing i had this conversation last night i went to a friend's birthday party and there was a you know there's that experience where someone walks up to you and goes hey and you're like what Ooh. i talk to you every, i talk to you every day why are you being so weird and then you think oh we haven't seen each other physically in about three months so it is kind of you know, it's that sort of, it's that constantly texting with somebody and you're sending yeah. each other, if you're, you know, KISS fans or whatever it is, you're just constantly sending each other stuff. You're constantly updating. And then when you actually see each other in person, there's this weird experience. You're like, oh yeah, I guess I haven't seen you physically in a long yeah. time. We had, and I had exactly the same thing at the weekend with a friend as well. The same, and, just the same. And that's a very 21st century experience. And I think that's what sort of changed my, didn't change my attitude towards it. Cause I don't think I really had an attitude towards remote recording because People have sent me songs before and asked me to play on something or to to uh, record a vocal on something, and that, and that's always a fun experiment. But I never really thought about it in a serious like, let's release yeah. it and Hopefully. you know put our heart and soul into it. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So you you said that the last the, the the latest slash album that you recorded was really live, and you were all in the in there together playing at the same time. So you you well, you've done both. So you totally you know. Uh, 
remotely and and all in the same room playing live so which do you enjoy most and what were the differences i suppose did you rehearse a lot for the for the slash one and then just play the songs two or three times because they're really well rehearsed or did you kind of jam them out in the in the studio how did that work it was a bit of both of that actually um the producer dave cobb that's how he works he likes to do things live chris stapleton a lot of these different artists that he works with you know He's a rock and roll guy, but he sort of made his uh, his dent in uh, in country music uh, in Nashville. You know, what I mean, he's a Nashville guy. So um, Slash has always been pushing to be as live as possible. He's one of those guys. He doesn't want to have to play that same solo 20 times till, you know, because it's a feel thing to him. Like it's it's emotional. Mm -hmm. It's not it's not really like um, a, a technical sort of medical thing to him. It's sort of like he wants it to feel and he's to his credit, not really afraid of like, whoops, or, you know, that's that, that Ben doesn't quite make it or, or whatever it, which in, I don't think that that's really, that's very rare for someone like of his ability. But, um, and I, and I always sort of agree with that to a certain extent. I think there's usually, I personally would sort of lean into the, um, somewhere in between, you know, where you're kind of like, you're, you're trying to commit to recording as much live to get that energy as possible, but also being able to kind of like have your sort of parachute in case yeah, something in case goes terribly mistake. wrong. Yeah. yeah. So what would end up happening in, in that recording is that you did not want to be the guy who made a mistake <laughs> because it's sort of like, um, but we, you know, we, we, we did kind of go over the music probably more than Dave Cobb would have been comfortable with. Um, but he was very sort of like, you know, don't overcook it. Come in here. We'll we'll bounce ideas around. We'll make changes and then uh, go from there. But it was very live. I mean, Miles, Miles was singing in the booth. And a lot of that was kept until he went down with COVID. <laughs> and then yeah, we all went yeah. down with COVID, um, right. <laughs> you know, during that recording, which was just a bizarre experience but um, well, that was the extra that was the, the special 21st century plus of recording exactly. all together Magic. in exactly. the same room yeah we're we're going to record in a bubble so the, the bus came out from los bus came out from los angeles picked us up miles came in from washington he drove down i can't remember exactly and then we all got on a bus and drove to nashville and lived in a house together a big sort of ranch style country type house and then went to the studio together so we really weren't interacting with we were having food delivered to our houses and like make sure you order it was like living in a in a bubble or something which i guess is what the, the intention was and then miles was like i think there's he was living in this guest house out in the back of this large huge place we were living in he decided to live out in the in this sort of guest house pool house or whatever the hell they would call it and he goes i think there's moss or some sort of bad moss out there i'm starting to get a scratchy throat and we're like and I don't think much of it because Miles is always <laughs> Miles is one of those guys that's, you know, he, he's very sensitive about his voice and whatnot. So I was like, OK. And then sure enough, he, uh, you know, we got tested and he was positive. And then we all kind of went down. Fitz and I both went down. Um, so I think it was three of us at first. Frank never got it on that on that run. Um, Slash eventually got it and our guitar tech eventually got it. So it's kind of like, what are you going to do? But the, the worst part of it was like then I sat in that weird country house watching you know you know Netflix. Yeah. 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 yeah for, for, for two weeks, weeks yeah. waiting yeah. for waiting for my I, I didn't go down that hard actually I had I was the only one who had been um 
vaccinated. So uh, Frank got vaccinated uh, just before we went and I had been vaccinated before that. But so, you know, I mean, the fact that I didn't go down that hard, I don't know if that's attributes to the, the vaccine or whatever, but it wasn't so bad. I just kind of like sat around and then finally went in to finish the record. We'd gotten a lot done up to that point, at least. Well, it's we like two songs a day. We did two songs a day, uh, like wow. as we were recording. Yeah. So, do you so like a Jacob when, as well? When you listen mm-hmm. to the record, do you think can you tell when you listen to that in comparison with the Heroes and Monsters one? Can you tell that it's live? I mean, obviously you know that it was live, in but but do you think it it shows in the you know you can actually hear the difference? That's actually a very interesting question because I I think we over overthink the audience's experience of things because i think that you know i mean for you know for all of us here we could talk about like how live was let it be by the rolling or let it bleed by the rolling stones or or any of those things you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and 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 the argument would be well look how much overcooking there's done on sergeant pepper but shouldn't it be that way i mean i i can't imagine it being any different than how it actually is so to me it's kind of like i don't really think there's a wrong way to do things if it if it if it you know makes the result what it is and i yeah yeah i mean the slash record it was definitely different for us because up to that point we had sort of been you know sort of trying to do things as live as possible i would often try and keep my uh my bass parts when we did apocalyptic love in 2012 we had done basically all the bed tracks really live we had tried to kind of keep rhythm guitars bass and drums as live as possible if there were flubs they were corrected um but i i've always been very lucky that way i kind of go in as prepared as i can be so i kind of try to be that guy who's like i'm going in here when they press the red button i'm not thinking i'm going to replace this so i'm going to kind of half-ass it so i just kind of like i do my best and i think like this is keepable i think so and Mm -hmm. uh and then so that was actually very interesting that was with eric valentine who did queens of the stone age and a bunch of acts like that that record was very interesting because it really was a hybrid of of very live and then very um you know, and then and then you know we we overdubbed vocals and stuff like that, but um, with the Elvis Basquette stuff, who works with Alter Bridge and that kind of stuff, we definitely did things a lot more. But that was a lot of scheduling too. Like Miles was in Alter Bridge, and you know all these things, so we were recording like things while Miles wasn't even wasn't even there, and then he'd come in and do his vocals, and then he'd have to leave immediately after. And that's just the nature of making a record when when people are around, people aren't around. Yeah, well, you've got. I mean, you, you guys have got so many different bands you're in, which sort of leads on to the next question, really, as well. I think, Stephen. Yeah, you've got quite a few previous and other bands that you're in: Sin City, Sinners, Age of Electric, Static, and Stereo. And the band that you post about probably most often that I see you is, but I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Toke? It's Duke. 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 Yeah, is it rhymes with Duke. Yes. Yeah. It is a. Uh, it is a. Uh, like a, a, a beanie hat or something. A beanie hat. Actually, let me yeah. grab this one here. It's uh basically what the guys in South Park South Park wear. Oh you know, right, like, okay, yeah. It's always got a. It's yeah. usually got a pom pom and. So it's, what was this got is a bubble some, hat in, in This the is UK, some Canadian thing that, um, and it's just a very <laughs> Canadian word. We started that thing as sort of a um, as a loving tribute homage to uh, to the Canadian music we grew up on, but. Uh, we started doing these charity shows and Fitz just said, what if we did all Canadian music? And I thought that, that'd be hilarious. First of all, I mean, I got to, you know, really digging deep and in, into the things that we grew up on and very specific to the part of the country we grew up in. So it would be kind of like talking about, you know, English groups, but only from Manchester or something like yeah, that. You know, yeah, it's like, it's yeah. like, you know, it's sort of like um, it was very sort of 
limiting and sort of fun. And then we just sort of like, as you do, you sort of come up with your own music and that sort of has turned into, I mean, that's on, that's on a bit of a hiatus. Corey, the guitar player plays in Shania Twain's band and they're just starting a tour. So they will be out till the end of the year. So, so I'm focused. That's when, you know, Heroes of Monsters comes up. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got time this year. So yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting when you say that and, and you, and you put all that all those names in a pile it sounds like you know does this man have clones or something how is he making this all work <laughs> well you've also got it, tracy guns as well yeah well the you tracy one the tracy one came up is a similar thing where it was um if it wasn't locked down it was locked down adjacent you know it's kind of like yeah. it was still at the beginning of 2022 i, re- I distinctly remember the conversation um amongst the people in the community the music community being a lot of like there was a lot of people who were sort of like this is it. It's never going to be the same again. We're never going to tour, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. And I was sort of, I didn't really believe that. I felt like things will bounce back at the time. It was so radically, it was really, it was scary really for a it while. It was yeah. a radical time, like to imagine that we could have all shut down like that and what that meant for venues and, and playing shows and, and that social distance thing and whatnot. But I mean, now we look at it and it's, I don't know what it's like over there, but here it's, basically normal it's, like we yeah don't it's just normal here and, and yep. interesting yeah. enough i mean we we obviously went through the same i think we had longer lockdowns here but I think we so. went through the same sort of the, the fear and the sort of un, of the unknown <clears throat> but both um steven and i as writers we we sold more books during lockdown than <laughs> yeah, ever it was before. great for us you know so yeah, it was terrible so there was one side of me was thinking this is terrible and the world's going to shit and you know what's going to happen tomorrow the other part i'm thinking wow these royalties are coming this is amazing everyone's at home reading books so, well, I know, felt I felt bad saying that, too, because it was sort of like um, it was very good for me. And I'm one of those people, as you can tell by my resume, that sort of likes to be busy. You know, it's kind of like no matter what I'm doing, even if it's technically a day off, like I don't have a show or something that I'm still doing something. You yeah. know, it's like I've, I've got things to do and then trying to maintain a, a, a loving, normal relationship with your with your wife and family <laughs> yeah. is is sort of you know it's a it's a it's a it's a tall order but um i really enjoyed the lockdown more than i felt comfortable with because of how awful it was on planet earth but i was like i just having that feeling of like not having to return that email because that guy's not he doesn't need to hear from me or you know anything that i had to work towards was sort of like all kind of put on pause and it was a it was a great feeling to to kind of regroup and and, and reboot that entire thing so that when it did come back we were all hungry for it, you know, and I think for yourselves, it, you know, you see the, the, how being a, a creative individual can really kind of work for you, depending on, on what's going on on the planet. And I think that's exciting for me. I wouldn't have made the Tracy record. I wouldn't have made heroes and monsters. I wouldn't have made minefield. And a lot of the stuff that we were doing with Tuke was all done remotely too, because we had to same thing, you know, but, but, um, and it really sort of, everybody had to step up there, you know, you kind of like either figured how to adjust or just kind of completely just fade away you know it's like and i think that a lot of that has you know i mean when it comes to podcasts and, and writing and all that kind of stuff yeah people people have you know they've they've found a whole new outlet and yeah, i think, I think that's cool certain we've obviously all three of us have obviously really enjoyed it but i remember i think mike Patton from faith no more he had a really hard time with it and i think his mental health sure. really suffered so sure some people loved it and some people absolutely hated it, but it was a very strange time. Well, I would have, I'd, 
it'd be very interesting to look at the stats on you know relationships that that got crushed well, yeah, by having yeah, you know going yeah. going from being three hours a day with your yeah. with your significant other <laughs> to like 24 hours a day with you. I mean, it, it it just the whole thing is it wasn't really set up for most of us have some kind of routine, whatever that is, you know, and when you take that away, I think I think I was always very realistic about the idea that no matter how long this goes, it's going to be um, we're going to return to normal, yeah. whatever that means, you know, what I mean, and I think that um it was just good to just busy myself and and you know and do that thing where you were like i've always meant to watch this movie or i've always meant to read this book yeah and, and then and then knowing that like there's going to come a day when that pile of books beside my bed which of course i have was sort of like now it's not just a matter of like i'm going to sit here and read this all day yeah because now i'm busy and that's you know that's just sort of a good problem to have yeah definitely so you've mentioned all the things that you do. You're incredibly busy. You keep busy all the time. And you play pretty much every instrument under the sun and you sing and you produce well, and you do of. everything musical. So here's a question for you. If you could only play one instrument for the rest of your life, which would you choose? And I guess that could include singing as well. But um... yeah, that's an interesting thing. I think a lot of that has changed over time. I, I know... When I was a kid, honestly, I I had an acoustic guitar and my father had it in his mind that he, he just sort of said to himself, he just sort of said, well, you got a guitar, we should get you a bass. And I thought, you know, at the time I was like, this seems completely logical. But at, in retrospect, it wasn't like, let's get you an electric guitar because I had an acoustic guitar and I was learning some chords and I was, you know, I was getting around enough that it's sort of like, OK, he plays guitar. And then he just sort of got it in his head that we should get you a bass. And I'm like, okay. And we went down to the shop and I bought a Gibson off the wall. I don't even know how much it cost. It probably was like $300. I don't, I'm sure it wasn't that much. My father wasn't the kind who was going to splurge on anything for some teenagers crazy, you know, you know, no matter what your whim of the day is. So, uh, but that bass sort of, you know, was the door into because nobody wanted to play bass, essentially. Most of the, <laughs> and, I, and I lived in a small town, and everybody, and for whatever reason, there was tons of musicians in my town, and there was the sort of the one sort of premier band, and they were having trouble keeping a bass player, and I was probably five years younger than them, which is a significant difference when you're 13, 14 years old, and they're yeah. 18, yeah. 19 years old, you know what I mean? So we... um I started playing with them and that just sort of opened the door. And I got to be honest with you back then I would have been perfectly happy if that was the end of the story, as far as my ambitions went, like I just sort of was the bass player. I was happy to be in a band. I was happy for the entire experience of what that means, the camaraderie, the, the getting on stage, the travel, all the aspects of that um, with that becomes, okay, now you sing one. Okay. Now you sing one. And then now Todd, you sing one. And then, Okay, now Todd, you sing that one now. And then Todd, you sing this one. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh, I've just become the lead singer somehow, you know. And 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 that, you know, as as flattering as that is, it's sort of like I I'm I'm totally honest in that I never really had aspirations to be a, a lead singer, or I just think I wanted to play music and be in a band. Um, but as time has gone by, I think if it was all whittled away, I guess I would probably sing. Because I I'm one of those people, and I had this conversation last night about how. I picked up a guitar and and I, it was, you know, it was, I want to think eighties, I guess, but, and what was happening in the eighties on guitar, as you guys know, 
was a radical sort of yeah. shift where I was sort of like Ace Fraley and 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 Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick and Johnny Thunders. I just loved very basic Keith Richards rock and roll guitar. And I and I sort of hit that, you know, I, I think you're always growing no matter what, but I kind of felt like I could do a lot of that in the early days and felt like this is as much as I want to know in a way. I didn't look at Eddie Van Halen and go like, I'm going to do that. I looked at Eddie Van Halen and go, that's insane. You know, yeah, yeah. I said, <laughs> yeah. it was like, it was kind of like literally watching Bruce Lee or something and just thinking like, I, I, I appreciate that, that that's happening or evil Knievel or something like that, that he's mm. floating these motorcycles through the sky. It never made me think like, I'm going to go jump on a motorcycle and, and endanger my life, you know? And I think with Eddie Van Halen and everybody who followed George Lynch and, you know, Steve Vai and everybody else, yeah. It's sort of like it became clear to me, like, well, if that's the way it's going to be, that guy can play that. You know, whoever <laughs> whoever else is in the band, I'm not going to participate in that. And um, it wasn't until I put a band together with my, with my younger brother, who had since picked up bass, that it became like, OK, well, then I, I guess I'll sing and play guitar. I'll move into the Paul Stanley rhythm guitar um, position. And uh, and that sort of opened up that world, you know, and then. But I've always sort of been back and forth on bass. And and so when people say I, I'm sort of a multi-instrumentalist, it's not like I pick up the guitar and suddenly I, you know, I'm Steve Vai. It's, that's not the case. I just, I consider myself a very solid rhythm guitar player. It's, the guys like Malcolm Young were always the guys that I looked to and said, that's what I want to do is be that guy, you know. Um, but as time has gone by, when you write and you and you create and all that kind of stuff i think that you know if i if i couldn't do anything i guess i would probably just sing i'd probably just be like okay well let's write songs together because i really get the most um like with tracy the thing that we just did with with tracy guns it's like he just sent music over and i wrote lyrics and put melodies to it and i and it was very very easy it wasn't really um a lot of beard stroking and you know um I don't know. What do you think about it? it? Was just sort of like, man, that's that's great. This is really great, you know. And feeling good about it. There might have been the odd conversation about like, what if this or what if that, or should we do this twice as long, or you know that kind of stuff. But it just felt good to be to be just knocking ideas around with somebody. I think that to some degree, I feel like that's sort of a a, a thing that I'm still sort of manifesting in a way that I still haven't really quite. I'm one of those people who's still delusional enough to think that the big thing is still coming. You know what I mean? It's like, you've done all these great things, but I still feel like it's good to kind of have that headspace of like, there's still, there's still mountains to climb. There's still, no matter how, what plateau on a mountain you're at, you're still see that next summit and think like, how do I get up? How do I get up there? You know? Yeah. Well, I think that, that is, that is a, it's, it's a, it's a good ambition to have, isn't it? To always Definitely. be looking for that, the next yeah. thing. Cause yeah. we've all in our ways, I mean, you probably more than us have attained a level yeah. of, of success yeah. that other people would envy, you know, and, and, and you could say, well, I've, I've got here, you know, I've got to where, where, you know, I wanted to be, but, but you, I, I saw just this week queen and Adam Lambert announced they're going to do a new North American tour. And I've Ooh. seen them a couple of times. I've seen queen several times before, with freddie and since massive queen fan and wow. uh, but, so i'm always sort of getting things popping up on my phone you know and queen announced something and they've announced this tour and um they sort of said i, I don't know how old um brian may is now but he's like late 70s or something and they said you know what what, what is this it is this the, the final tour or something he goes what do you mean he goes we're only just beginning is <laughs> the, the, the best is yet to come kind of thing you know and so i think you just never lose that if you're really into what you do and you're excited by what you're doing it's Why funny because I, I I play in this thing here in Vegas called Raiding the Rock Ball. When I'm home, you know, it's 
20 minutes that way to just go over and play with some friends on they have a regular show that happens here a classic rock show and it was originally um the musical director was howard lease from heart who oh, is right. 70 something now you know mm -hmm. so yeah. it was that same experience of being 14 playing with 18 year olds or like sometimes 10 years older than me um to be suddenly standing there and playing with these sort of elder statesmen uh, of you know and, and looking at it and going I guess this is the way it is. We just keep going. And because mm -hmm. you, you don't really consider these things as the numbers come to us when you hit, hit these new decades or whatever, you start to think like, well, I don't feel any different or feel like I should stop or mm -hmm. go and buy a golf shirt and some khakis and just sort of <laughs> lean into, you know, I just kind of feel like, you know, there was a time where we probably would have thought, you know, people in their 50s and 60s and 70s wearing Chuck Taylors and, and you know, yeah. <laughs> skinny jeans or whatever. We'd have been like, that's just not going to happen. But um, it's sort of all being invented in real time in front of us with people like Brian and Paul McCartney and the Stones. Yeah. And we're just sort of like, yeah. I guess we just keep doing this until we can't anymore. Whatever. I, I think that's lucky, it, isn't it? Yeah. If you're lucky enough to have your health, you know, then I you're guess lucky you enough to have your health and you can just carry on yeah. playing. I remember reading a few years ago, um, I think Les Paul was still playing guitar yeah. regularly, publicly yeah. in a club like once a week or something until he died. Yeah. I think it was like the week he died, he'd played like two or three days before, like 96 or whatever he was. And he was still playing, you know, going up on that's stage so, and doing his thing. That's so cool. And it's kind of like 90% of the reason being in Vegas is such a, it's such a, an entertainment city. You know what I mean? And there's like, um, there's a new casino being built like not far from my place. And it's, as I drive by, I think to myself, well, how many venues will there be in there? <laughs> the piano bar and the a guy playing acoustic guitar over in a in a little lounge, and there'll be a showroom for a full band, and then you know, and then touring acts might come through. You know, it's just or some comedians. Jay Leno is here tonight, or whatever. So it's like I always think like it's such a an interesting, especially for someone like me who doesn't smoke, drink, gamble. Like I'm just the most boring person in Las <laughs> Vegas. And, but but I kind of have this sort of you know this other sort of point of view that just sort of says like look this is a city where everybody comes here to do all those things and we can just sort of sort of capitalize on them coming here to to throw their money yeah. around i guess um but i mean it's just you know that that when you say les paul playing at 96 years old i could probably do that here you know it's like, yeah, i could yeah. probably be playing at some like local restaurant or lounge and just be like Oh, Todd Kearns is down there. He's still alive. You know that guy. <laughs> he's still alive. Yeah, he's still there. He's Playing still the bass on his yeah. own. Yeah. <laughs> on his own, yeah. Or with some other old guys, probably. Yeah. Or probably much younger people, actually. Yeah, like, lots of young people. You playing yeah. bass and all the yeah, guys. Exactly. Who's the old Leaping guy? Leaping around oh, the stage. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I was <laughs> sitting on a stool over in the back. That's yeah. a dream. Yeah. Just on your bass playing. Uh, so Blackie Lawless famously called it the Tool of Ignorance. And Dave Mustaine recently said the bass isn't a difficult instrument to play. It's one step up from the kazoo, isn't it? <laughs> so I disagree oh, because I, I've I've got a bass as well, but I find it really it's easy to play along to something. I was playing along with you last night, actually watching the oh cool on Amazon Prime the the concert that's on there, the slash. But I find it really difficult to come up with my own bass lines as a guitarist. So how do you approach it? Like coming from it's a, funny. It's funny to me because um, we've always said that there are guitar players and then there are bass players because yeah. and, and guys like me and I and I always look to guys like Paul McCartney because McCartney, um, you know, McCartney is one of those guys that um, 
the only reason he picked up the bass was because their bass player quit, you know, and he's sort of like, well, and, and objectively looking back now, I go, I don't think John would have been qualified to play bass. And I don't think George, George was too much of a guitar player mm -hmm. to put it down, you know? So I think, but oftentimes you'll find guitar players will pick up a bass and they can get around on it and they can kind of, but they always have this sort of like guitar player thing that's sort of, and I mean, bass is, is I've always sort of tried to, to, it's sort of like there's the drums and there's the guitar and the bass is in the middle sort of playing you're 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 part of that groove and you got to play a line with with the guitar that you know grooves there so the guitar player especially within the, within the slash band slash is doing what slash is going to do he's flying around the atmosphere and we're trying to kind of like hold him you know from <laughs> floating away i guess you know and um you know so someone like brand who's a very solid drummer um he doesn't need to be you know neil peart kind mm -hmm. of you know mm -hmm. that kind of stuff he's just more of a small little drummer he can play neil peart like nobody's business but he sort of likes that sort of straight ahead rock and roll and that's kind of where i come from because i'm the kind of bass player too where i come my bass playing is all punk rock like i don't really have i never had that interest in having a seven string bass way up <laughs> here that's made out of like coffee table wood you know it's sort of like it's just it's just the way i've always done it guys like duff and and you know all those guys that sort of come from a very similar school play with a pick um i play with fingers but i just like playing with a pick and and, and i've learned that in all the sessions i've done people often will do like a like a taste challenge of like hey do it with your fingers now do it with a pick and they often go there's a smoothness that happens with the pick and uh obviously it's a preferred taste either way but i just found that it's sort of you know what McCartney's always been my sort of north star and I just sort of felt like that's what I'll do you know he's the singing he's the prototype of the singing bass player you know what I mean and um uh, it's a long list from Sting and everybody else but uh yeah for me it's just sort of like you know the the beauty of playing with Slash is that he sort of um again he's he's in a position where he could say do this do that I don't like what you're doing he's just very sort of and I think it's he's sort of one of those people that if it wasn't working, he would move on. You know, I think so. We've always been yeah. able to kind of like bounce. He's bounces. I mean, he comes in, basically the, the, the chemistry is he comes in with his riffs and we start to turn them into songs, you know what I mean? And um, so I just sort of come up with my stuff around his parts. And I try to be as sort of clever and a little bit out of the way. Cause sometimes the guitar playing can get busy and I, I'm not really the kind of, I don't really uh, what's the word. I, I just don't really kind of feel like busy rock is really what I need to do. I love all that stuff. Like when you talk about Rush and all, I'm Canadian, you have to love Rush. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> but it, you know, it's sort of like the very challenging aspects of it. And I also really have a very deep respect for where Slash comes from when it comes to Guns N' Roses and which is all sort of like in my DNA as well. It's the kind of music that I, I, I love is that sort of straight ahead rock and roll. And um, so that's kind of where I, I come from. So creating bass lines is is part of the fun and you know that said there are guitar players who who can pick up a bass and 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 really do something very interesting on bass guitar um but uh i think it takes a certain kind of patience so i would imagine as you know all due respect to dave mustaine i <laughs> never heard of i've never heard of him play bass and i don't know that uh i think he's you know he's best equipped at what he's doing <laughs> yeah. well he wrote the rough for peace cells actually on the bass did he play that? According to him, he wrote it, yeah, on the bass, oh, and he sure, just told yeah. Ellison to play it, yeah. 
Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that riff. That, yeah. Yeah. That was his great riff. That, yeah. that 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 riff comes up later in the song, uh, you know, on the guitar and whatnot too. So he probably yeah, just right. showed him the riff, and then they sort of built it from there. Um, I actually think Dave's, you know, one of my fave bass players as a kid. Was, yeah, I could ease, but I mean, was was Dave Ellison and 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 that whole like you know Cliff Burton and eventually they, Jason Newstead and all those guys from that yeah. era. Frank Bello from Frank, Anthrax yeah. in the thrash world, you know, like that kind of thing was a whole other animal. But um, uh, but yeah, I. I I'm one of those guys. I I don't really believe one instrument's necessarily easier than the other because, um, you know, people like to always make those jokes about like, oh, the bass player this and the bass player that, and then I, I just pull out a long <laughs> list of of very important bass players that you're kind of like, Gene Simmons is the bass player. Who's the yeah. most visible person yeah. in Kiss? You know, um, you know Paul McCartney. Well, it's like Paul McCartney, yeah, Sting. Sting yeah. You know, it's yeah. like a Geddy Lee. It's like these are all. Of course, a lot of them are singing bass players. But that said, it's sort of like you know they're in many ways the most focal point of those bands. So, um, and and they and, and many of those guys play much different than I do. Although Sting had a very big impact on me as well. Sting was a very. Uh, I, I grew up in a in my first, well, the first band I joined sort of pared down to a three piece where I became the vocalist singer, and and as a kid, the Police were such a great band that I kind of yeah, um, I couldn't help but be inspired by all that. Yeah, well, we had a we had another bass player on um, just recently. Um, Gregory Sporton is the bassist. You talk about sort of more busy music or different type of music. He plays bass in a progressive um, rock band called Big Big Train. Um, they're okay. very sort of similar to uh, early Genesis. Is that very Genesis sure, influenced? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, and we managed to. I think Stephen, you managed to insult him as well, talking about how easy it was to play the bass as well. <laughs> so, it's like guitar um, on one string. That's what I said. But <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> which he which he laughed at, luckily. Uh... Um, but uh, but but he thought we we had a really great chat with him, and he he thought there was a lot in common between us as writers and having to um, sit around it all day just making things up on our own, um, writing songs. He said, you know, for him, he was writing songs we're writing books and then doing our promo and doing lots of online stuff and sort of trying to get our yeah. name out there on social media and everything. So he said there was quite a lot of in common one of the things he said was the fact that he thought that um, nobody else really considers it in your family nobody really considers it a real job and that struck a chord <laughs> with us as well that you know, our, our family don't really think that we do any work and i don't know if that's the same with you but um I, i've heard you in another interview i listened to to an interview with you on a different podcast um recently where they were talking about writing and you said that maybe you, you you'd like to write a graphic novel uh at some point and um Stephen and i of course are both authors and we're frustrated rock stars um <laughs> and so perhaps you know if you're a rock star that's a frustrated graphic novelist perhaps there's some sort of cosmic balance there but i was wondering how you'd feel if um as a writer would you be able do you think you'd be able to survive as a writer and change your lifestyle and flip it round and sit at home all day writing books. That's a fascinating. I think I've got, gotten so much inspiration from from the different. You know, I read all the time. I, I tend to be very sort of like, um, very susceptible to the airport sort of like. Oh, Flea has a book out. You know, like yeah. all my favorite musician types that I always and some actors and stuff like that because I'm always very fascinated by the the even in podcasts when you're listening to. The most interesting stories are the guys who like who have failed and failed and failed. I mean, that's an objective term, I suppose. And then somehow, you know, how people who because you look at somebody and you go, this person's successful. They've made it. That's such a great story. And when you hear 
like even things like the making of apocalypse now you know when you when you go and you look at you look at the um the the story of how fucking what's the word cursed the making of that thing was you know yeah if you if you had watched the documentary of the making of it first you'd think this is never going to amount to anything you know it's just there's no, no way with all the problems that they that he came up <laughs> he, he mortgaged his home and yeah yeah i think i think everyone and... around him thought it was never going to amount to anything yeah, I, I, I think i think it was the same thing as your parents don't think you have a real job you're a director <laughs> you know and yeah. i think that all the arts in a sense have that sort of inspiration to me where so many successful people have truly tasted um defeat you know what i mean and mm -hmm. i think that mm -hmm. i don't know about you guys but i you know I've, there's been a number of times in my career where it's kind of like okay i guess it's time to get a job and you know and figure it out and uh and although that's sort of it just becomes part of a larger story and when it comes to 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 writing like what you guys do i'm always very inspired by the fact that i remember stephen king when i was a kid um you know, we just devoured those books because they were so, you know, they were just so much fun. But I remember reading somewhere where he had said something about like how it's like that the idea of waiting for this bolt of lightning to come down from the sky and, and you just spring out of bed like Eureka. It's sort of like he sort he sort of told it like very blue collar, like put the coffee on, sit down at the typewriter back then and mm -hmm. go to work for eight hours or however many hours and sort of like. And some of it's going to go in the trash and some of it's even if it even if you have like one breakthrough that day or even keep one page that day or in some cases you don't keep anything. It's very similar to picking up the guitar and noodling around and feeling like I, I've i lost it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> and then but I really do believe that anytime you enter into a writing process which I think um, if you're in a constant state of creativity, then which is probably the best really is that sort of that sort of yoga type fluid. I'm always <laughs> sort of stretched out kind of thing, which I'm not good at that kind of repetition type behavior. It seems to be like you go through phases of 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 focus in, in performance and then okay, now it's time to get creative and you kind of sit there and go, OK, how do I do this again? Yeah. Get yeah. Back into uh, how does this work? Yeah. And then you just sort of like you kind of have to just kind of force your way through mm. and, and, and sort of like, Oh, that, I don't think that's very good, but you know, maybe this is keepable and I'm not sure like how, what your guys is um, how you do it. But I, I find that uh, the, the writing aspect, because the idea of people often say to me, like, have you ever thought about writing a book about your, your career and your life? And I, and I have the audacity to say, well, I don't think the big things happened yet. So I'm going <laughs> to wait on that. But, but I mean, you do have a lot of, you know, when you're in the course of your life, you have a lot of stories and you feel like there's probably some inspirational type things that you can, you can sort of tell as far as your story goes to keep yourself persevering and, and, and hopefully somebody would read that and, and, and feel like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm inspired by this. And then people, you know, you, you get to a point where people come up to you and then, it's been, been happening for a long time. I was quite young when somebody came up to me and said, I saw you play and I decided I wanted to play music. And I went like, wow, that's so weird. Cause I said that to somebody five years ago, yeah. you know, whatever. That's, and that's cool. I don't know whatever happened to that guy. He's probably a, an accountant <laughs> or something. <laughs> well, but he, but he's an accountant who plays bass or plays yeah, guitar. Yeah, exactly, which is better exactly, than the yeah. accountant who doesn't. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I don't want to say anything bad about. But I, I have such deep respect. Here. 
I have, oh, exactly. I'm, I'm actually one of those guys that uh, I look at my accountant all the time and I go, how did you do this? It's like, it's like, <laughs> as if he's done an amazing performance, you know? Um, but I, uh, when I, I so he takes a bow after he hands you the accounts book. He's like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> but I have such respect for what you guys do, and and I, I, you know, I come from deep nerd stock of of sci-fi and and superheroes and 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 horror and all the things that I grew up loving that have always been a part of me and will very much continue to be a part of me. As I realized, my wife brought me a a Marvel comics uh, coffee cup, but yeah. um. It's sort of one of those things where when it comes to graphic novels, um, you know, I've always had very, very clear ideas of things that I that I characters that I had created from very from my from my youth and all sorts of things and how they've always remained. But I think I became very sort of aware that at a certain point in your life, unless you get to that that echelon where now you can sort of create this empire of. Like Gene Simmons is, you know, is is good about like, you know, I'm going to do this and here's a cola oh, now and yeah, yeah or yeah, any of those kind of things where you could probably partner yourself up with an artist and kind of go, here's my ideas, you know, and I have a budget to work with and all that kind of stuff. And it's always good to even so, you know, when we talk about being 96 years old and playing down at the pub, it's sort of like maybe by then, maybe that'll have happened. You know, I mean, you can always have that sort of North Star as far as eventually writing that sort of more of a memoir type idea or coming up with sort of a more fictional type. I mean, it was I mean, interesting to me. Rick Springfield wrote a memoir years ago and uh, someone get every Christmas I get a stack of books because everybody knows I like to read and they, and I always end up with like almost every rock book that is released that year. I end up with a pile of my, I go Rick Springfield. Interesting. I've never thought of it. And I read it and I really enjoyed the story he had to tell. He's, one of those guys who, who's very open about depression and stuff like that. I was like, wow. And then like very shortly after he came up with a fiction book, which I never picked up. And I thought, wow, that's so interesting that he probably had like some sort of story he wanted to tell. And he'd managed to get a, you know, a, 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 a bestsellers kind of book and thought like, well, now I'm going to lean into doing a fiction book. And I thought, that's so cool. You know, I thought that's, and it was, and it's inspirational in other ways. If, if you decided that like, um, whether it's to write a book or to make a bluegrass album, I don't know, you know, whatever it yeah. is, that other interest that you have. Life is so brief and so crazy that, um, but at the same time, it's really long. I feel like I've been doing this a long time and I feel like, you know, I've managed to do a lot, but I still feel like I, I really want to still keep doing it. You know, I mean, the, the fact that Aerosmith and Kiss stopped making original music years ago or making new music mm -hmm. um you know because there's a, a lot a deeper conversation about the the business of making music um but it's still you know we're creative people i think we have to do it and if it i've never been the kind of person that thought like i put it out and it only sold this much versus this much you know what I, i've yeah, had people I mean, who come up to me i've had people who come up to me years later and said to me a record that was deemed essentially unsuccessful have come up to me and gone that record is so important to me and, and you just go wow that that really means something to me that and i and i i could have very easily just not made that record because it's a in an in a in an industry that's sort of like very, very challenged by what mm -hmm. the hell do we do with our music you know what i mean it's sort of it is what it is same for books right same for writing well, definitely I mean, you, definitely yeah. absolutely i really want to ask you this one canada seems to have a lot of really good musicians like you uh, Rush, as you mentioned, Sebastian Bach, Jeff Waters from Annihilator, and Justin Bieber, of course. So and many others. 
and loads of others. So who would who would you really like to work with if you had the chance? Oh wow. Um Canadian wise, I, I've been so fortunate to to have gotten to know so many of them. Um, like the guys in Loverboy, which is like the very first concert I ever saw was Brian Adams opening for Loverboy. It was like the most ca- <laughs> most Canadian experience you can have. And now I see the Loverboy guys who are elder statesmen of rock. And it's like, you know, I mean, I always say, I always kind of joke to them that like, you know, I could have been a doctor or a lawyer, but I saw you guys and decided <laughs> I'm going to play music. You know I mean? And, and uh, you know, I, I, I've been, I suppose someone like, well, I mean, then you get into like the Neil Youngs and the Joni Mitchells and 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 the deeper sort of um, Canadian stuff. I I I managed to to get to know Alex Lifeson a little bit back in the day, and I haven't seen him in years, but uh, just one of the greatest people. That's a very good question. I might need to. I, I imagine my, I I would have to kind of just acquiesce to Neil Young in, in many ways because I think that he he sort of waves a flag that I sort of follow, which is sort of like. You know, if you look back on his career, it's folk, it's very dirty rock, it's very, and then he'll do like uh, very, in the 80s, he did really bizarre things. He made like a sort of almost doo-wop record. He made uh, uh, a completely new wave record. Like, and I'm the kind of guy that's like, trust me, I've always entertained the idea of trying to be able to kind of put together some sort of like you know, like like being involved in more of a pop thing here and there, even like a little bit more of a hip hop type type lean. Like I, I certainly wouldn't be rapping or anything like that, but just sort of like <laughs> the idea of being involved musically and in, in, in just doing stuff that's sort of I mean, I, I tend to lately more than ever listen to music that has nothing to do with what I do. You know what I mean? My my wife's, you know, you know, turned on The Weeknd or Lana Del Rey or or, or a lot of like these hip hop type artists where I'm kind of like. And I think that because it's so alien to me, I can't help but be like, I need to hear more of this and really mm-hmm. kind of sort of understand it, you know, in a way. Because I will go in the car and go, Dream Police by Cheap Trick, boom, you know, like, <laughs> and it's been like that for 50 years. It's like, you know, yeah. but I still get something out of those records, you know, and, or yeah. Queen yeah. or or any of the groups that we grew up on. They 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 never stop speaking to us. But every once in a while, I try to tell myself to do something a little different. And I think guys like Neil, Neil Young, because I do, I do a lot of, I haven't in a while, but I do a lot of acoustic type performances as well, where it's sort of just very, I love the campfire. It's just me and a guitar. And if my voice cracks or the guitar goes out of tune, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, we, we're, yeah. we're going to have to roll through it. Yeah. Right. Well, one, one more question before, well, you, before we move on to the final, um, our final regular questions that we ask all our guests, there's one question that we have to ask you, which is, um, I'm hope hopefully you're going to get the uh, where this is coming from. But what what's the longest version you've ever played of Rocket Queen? <laughs> oh, you, I tell this story all the time at the Zenith in Paris, France. I guess it's like Toulouse, France, technically. Um, if you look on YouTube, there's a 30 minute version of of Rocket Queen. Oh, minutes. Thirty minutes. <laughs> And that's not like we, we didn't take other songs out of the set. We kept playing the regular set. He just kind of, we would do this thing in Rocket Queen where me and Frank, we kind of hang back by, we do the Malcolm and Cliff yeah, yeah. back to the amps, you know? And um, he does his thing. Miles is gone. Miles is like, you know, calling his mom. I don't know what he's doing. Well, he's, and, a, he's got 30 uh, minutes. So I guess he's, he's got, had a, little, like yeah. a shower, had something to eat. You know, <laughs> had a, had a, a massage. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, the fact that it went to 30 minutes is, is not normal. That's what I'm saying is, <laughs> is it sort of like, I will see the response of people in the audience um, when Slash decides that he has something to say that night. You will see, I mean, what's really funny to me is the sort of like, you'll see these nice people in the audience. There's often our front row is very much the same people. In Europe, they'll travel from mm -hmm. town to town to town. And you'll see this kind of like, yeah, they're rocking out. And eventually the phone comes up and they start to kind of, like, you know, start to kind of like, like get fed like, up. Just kind of like, oh, I should probably return that email that I've been, you know, like they, they suddenly <laughs> go into that mode. And then, you know, but it's sort of like Miles Davis or jazz or something where it's kind of like you're watching, you've came to this show, it says slash, you're going to see some guitar playing. You know, if yeah. you came here thinking like, oh, I just want to hear the hits. Oh, you didn't play. You know, it's like, well, that's kind of what it is. And, and to Slash's credit, he doesn't give a fuck. Like, he's just sort of like, he's going to do what he's going to do. And and we have his back. You know what I mean? And what we would normally do is that solo, uh, the regular solo goes into a slide guitar solo. And then, you know, that's what the normal solo is in Rocket Queen. But we would kind of break it down. And let him do a thing. We'd break it. We'd break it right down, and we'd build it up, and we'd fake back to a breakdown. So then he, and then the second build up, we would go into the regular solo. But upon that second build up, it's like he's still going. So we go back <laughs> down, and we did that probably multiple times. And I remember looking across the stage at Frank, and the look on his face was like, like help, like what's <laughs> happening? You know, what, what's have I? That kind of feeling of like, have I done something wrong? Are we in a different part of the song than I think we are? And I just kind of looked at him like, is what it is. Because I, I always sort of uh, tell the lighting guys to put us in the dark as much as possible. Because there's nothing weirder than standing there going like, just playing that riff. Yeah. Some version of the riff because we break it down so much. And there's people sitting in the front row looking at you like kind of like, and that kind of like, you could pretty much engage in like, so how was the drive here? Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> you just feel like it's just this weird... So I just put me in the dark as much as possible because I'm going to be kind of in my own world and they should be looking at Slash. He's doing his thing. But it's on YouTube. It's, 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 I mean, the song itself is six minutes long. I think the, the real version of, the real version of, it's of around uh, that six, seven minutes. Yeah. Six minutes. Yeah. So that means it's 24 minutes of guitar solo. <laughs> I mean, that's a fairly outrageous thing to say, but I, but I've been a part of it. You know, Duff McKagan once told me, he goes, oh, when that happens, dude, he'll walk over and he kind of like lightly steps on Slash's foot. Yeah, I hope that. And I, I think that's hilarious. I go, yeah. well, I mean, you're Duff McKagan. I'm not fucking yeah. Duff McKagan. He goes, <laughs> but he goes like, you know, because Slash has got sunglasses on. His eyes are closed. Yeah. Usually. He's so he just, can't see you. Yeah, yeah. He's just working it out. Like whatever whatever his day has been or whatever, whether it's joy or frustrations, whatever, it's all coming through. He's a very quiet man. So everything's being said through his fingers in that mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. And Duff will just walk over there and kind of like lightly step on his foot. Like, and it's kind of like, and that's time. And it's time to move <laughs> on to the next part. And I go, well, I don't have that luxury. I go, I think if I did that, so I should be like, like, what, what do you, what do you want? And then he would just keep playing, you know? So that's probably, I don't know. I don't think it's gone longer than that. We sort of, um, we moved, we moved on to other songs. There was a version of a uh, wicked gate, a uh, wicked, uh, wicked stone. Wicked stone. Yeah, the, yeah. I noticed wicked that stone. last night when I was playing along in the bass, that one seemed to go on for an awful lot longer than it should. So then he took that outro solo and went yeah. wild with that. So, yeah. And that's kind of, um, that's kind of, it's like I said, the show is. Yeah. It's, slash, show. yeah. So it's, it's yeah. fucking, he's going to play some guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So 
we we ask each of of our guests the following questions at the end of every episode and the sure. first one uh or first two really are um what have you been reading and watching um this week or in the last um, few days reading pamela anderson's book nice <laughs> which was okay. an, yeah. which was an airport uh i was going to the airport forgot to bring one of my stacks of books i was i have like three or four multiple elvis presley books that that i i'm reading uh and they go into what ends up happening is I read things and then go away and pick up another book and then come back and then finish that book and then read this book. Um, but there's a great book that I that I can't wait to start about Elvis in Las Vegas. It's called because right. you know any of that sort of his shadow hangs over this town in so many oh, yeah, ways. Yeah. We can't help but be like you know there's guys dressed as him walking around the Las Vegas Strip probably right now you know hogging for tips. You know what I mean? Um, but the Pamela book I just kind of walked in. I go she has a book. They go that's weird. So I picked it up and just sort of like, and it was actually, it's quite, quite lovely for what it is. I, I did not know what to expect. I think she, she claims to have written it herself. And I'm like, well, good for her. You know, I think that's, it's very common for me to pick up because I'm have sort of these ideas of writing someday myself that I often pick up these sort of books thinking like, huh, well, what has she got to say? And she has a story to tell you kind of, as you're reading it, you go, Oh, right. I forgot about that whole yeah. thing disaster you know or whatever um you know i've got dave Grohl's book right beside the started as well because he you know uh in another mistaken start stop kind of situation um but then watching we have been watching we're one of those people i, I i'm like a nerd so picard season three uh yeah. star trek picard okay. um the mandalorian the last of nice. us all those kind Kind of shows are sort of on the go. Uh, the Man Mandalorian and Picard season three are brilliant. If you're a nerd like me, you'll 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 know what I'm talking about. So it's, it's something to be said about rock and roll people when you find that guy and you can talk about guitars. There's also something that can happen when a guy goes, "Have you been watching the Mandalorian?" You go, "Dude," and yeah. then you sit there. Yeah. And, well, and I haven't watched the Mandalorian on. the last season yet. I've watched seasons one and two. In fact, I got I got Disney Plus originally just to watch The Mandalorian because I'm a massive Star Wars fan. But for some reason, I don't know, I haven't got into the third. I haven't started the third season yet, so I need to. I need to get in. It there. starts a bit slow, and I don't know if you've been reading the stories about it. it's it's no, it's kind of not not as strong uh, a viewership as it's had. But okay. if you're as in, invested as I am, it, it's you know it's. It, it goes to places that you're like, oh, I wow, I can't believe honestly think that probably a large part of that has to do with the book of Boba Fett, which was, in my opinion, awful. So, yeah, it was. A I bit think of a it's mis- weakened the whole sort of the, the franchise for me. I just, but I'm I such a I'm such happened. a fan of that stuff that I can kind of almost yeah. put up with, you know, I can almost put up with that couple of records that were kind of duds. Because I know the good records are going to come again, you know. I'm still, I mean, gonna, I'm like, still going to watch the Mandalorian definitely, but yeah, I, I, think I recommend. You, you I actually recommend so. Andor might be my favorite. Andor series was fantastic. I, I, really, I thought it was really awesome. It. I, yeah. But again, I really loved Rogue One for what it was, you know. So I, I what my preference is, and uh oh, we're going to start a whole new podcast here, is, is when they <laughs> when they tell stories that are kind of outside of the familiarity and all that exactly kind of stuff. Like, uh, and or doesn't really, have one lightsaber in the entire thing what's, or one what starts Jedi winding what starts winding me up about like the mandalorian is when they bring in the the skywalkers and all of it it's like come on tell another story that's that story's it's, been done to death We've it's got- kind of it's kind of stunt 
stunt work really you're kind of like okay that's cool that that you've yeah. got some weird de-aged mark hamill standing there yeah, but it's but it's like it's I unnecessary love mark hamill, but you don't need yeah. him in you don't need him in every star wars thing he doesn't need to appear in the background and darth vader likewise you know just get yeah. rid of them they're somewhere else leave him alone exactly but i think that you know you know but again i'm like i I'll, kevin smith's put it best kevin smith the director yeah, yeah you know he, yeah. he said like you know I never thought I would live to see a day when they would be making these kind of films or these kind of this kind of stuff. Um, so I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can. And I do, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, as many missteps as, as, as the comic book movies have made, I never thought that there would be a Thor film you know, that yeah, was a yeah. success. You're right. yeah. You know, you're talking about like very low, you know, you work, work your mm -hmm. way down from Spider-Man or all that down to the tiers of where Thor was on the, on the, on the tier of, of superheroes. There's no, if you would have told me 30 years ago, there's going to be a Thor film and it's going to be huge and he's going to be a huge part of this bigger thing. I'm like, that's never going to happen. Back then, the, the idea of making Marvel films was like, absolutely not going to happen. Will it run its course? Absolutely. Star Wars has run its, its course so many times. The last trilogy was unacceptable. You know, I was like, but we still find ourselves going like, oh, they're making a new one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It. Let's check it out. Okay. We're on to our last question. It's usually a two-part question, but it'll have to be one for you. What have you been listening to? And usually we ask, do you listen to music when you write? So that's not applicable to you. So it's, what what have you been listening to this week? Well, as I mentioned, it's been a lot of very diverse stuff. I've been listening to, weirdly, um, I mean, I, I was always one of those people that was always very interested in music. Like, I never felt like I had to apologize that I loved ABBA. You know, I, mean? like, you know, yeah. I never felt yeah. like yeah. I, my mom listened to ABBA in the car. And I was like, like, you know, those songs are so infectious. Long before you have that sort of thing of what's cool and what's not cool. Um, I just sort of said, these are great songs. You know, I mean, these are whoever wrote these songs knows how to write a song. Whoever produced these songs knows how to produce a song. And I was able to kind of like really, I don't really seek it out. I think when you get to a certain age, you kind of feel a little bit silly when you're like, have you heard the new Taylor Swift record? You know, what? You know, it's like, or, or Katy Perry or any of that kind of stuff. You know, I walk through malls sometimes and I'll go like, who is this? And somebody will say Katy Perry or whoever. And I'll go, that's a good song. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't actively feel like I need to listen to that song. But I, um, but lately I've been listening to mostly the weekend, a Canadian artist. I, I had a good time with. There was one period where the weekend and Drake were both like number one and number two in America, and I was like Canadian. Uh, <laughs> but and that's sort of more just in a more recent um, attempt to force myself out of my cheap trick, Queen, Kiss, mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin, Beatles. Yeah. Which I, when I say that, I'm still like if things are shuffling on my stuff, it's like, Oh, hard day's night, you know, or, Oh, yeah, Bohemian, yeah. you know, a uh, killer queen, you know, it's like, I, I don't really, but I find that lately I've been listening to a lot of things that, um, uh, like hip hop type stuff where I'm, I'm very curious about like the idea. Like I will, I've always said, like, I like listening to a voice and sometimes that voice isn't a singing voice, you know, like if you could listen to, Martin Luther King give a speech or any number of those people. And there's something about that quality of a voice. And when it comes to hip hop, I kind of think that there's something to be said about the quality of, I've always said Chuck D is one of my favorite voices. He doesn't sing, he raps, you know? And I think that, you know, 
when you when you listen to that kind of stuff and you think like the wording and, and that's one thing about hip hop that I think is really interesting. I went to a Jack White concert in Chicago and we were really fascinated by the fact that he played nothing but 80s hip hop before he went on. And Frank and I from mm -hmm. Slash's band, he plays with Wolf Wolfgang now, yeah. Van Halen in, in Mammoth. We're both like uh, people who could live in in multiple worlds that way, and, and had a great love for old funk and and uh, and then into hip hop, and of course rock and roll and heavy metal. And like I feel kind of like sometimes people are like pick a lane, dude, because <laughs> I I grew up on punk rock and I grew up on on hard rock, heavy metal. I you know I love heavy metal. I loved heavy metal. It was sort of like what when I was a teenager white teenagers listened to Judas Priest and and all that kind of stuff as we were coming up, which quickly changed into Motley Crue and all that kind of stuff. But to me, it was sort of elements of all those things. What I find through lines of what my favorite parts of, of the hard rock bands were and the same way in the pop things and in the, um, in the hard rock type things that they all sort of like could possibly end up on the same mixtape and, and sort of make sense. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that that's sort of when it comes to production and sort of songwriting and, and structure and stuff like that, I find myself really sort of analyzing a lot of hip hop these days going like, okay, cause there's always what they call. And I, I have hip hop friends approach me all the time. You got to come in and do my hook for me. And I go, what, you know, it's sort of like, like what they would call a chorus, you know, cause it's yeah, always kind of yeah. like a, a chorus they do the verses and, and it's nuts to see these guys do it because when I was a kid and I think that, you know, guys were like scribbling and writing stuff and they would go in and then they would say their do their raps. Now guys are literally going in. These guys are so skilled. It's a, like watching slash play 20 minutes of <laughs> 24 minutes of guitar solo. You can literally watch guys freestyle on a microphone uh, for a long time. Black thought from the, from the, from uh, the roots the band on um jimmy fallon's tonight show he has like a 10 minute freestyle and it is mind-boggling to watch you know when you're someone like me who who i went through my bob dylan phase of being obsessed with his ability like because when you learn um a hard rain's gonna fall you're like there's like 10 verses in this song you can't memorize these words and and it's one of those things where when you write songs I kill myself like heroes and monsters or whichever thing, Tracy guns. I'm killing myself getting that first verse just right. And then it's like, Oh God, I got to write this second verse. The choruses usually find themselves. That's usually what I think is you try to find your chorus and create what it's going to be. Now I need to comment upon that with this verse and this verse. And then if there's a middle eight, that sort of has its own way. And I would be like, so Bob Dylan's 23 years old and he knocks out like, all these like and everyone's sort of more important and deeper than the last you know so i think that i sort of got past how high someone can sing and how big a voice that someone has and i started to look more and more at what's being said and often how it's being said you mm -hmm. know i think that you know bono to his credit mm -hmm. as much as he sort of rubs people the wrong way in certain ways I always felt like he was really able to tap into some emotion when he sang what he was singing. And I think a lot of that has probably to do with his spirituality and stuff like that. Um, but I think that there's something really to be said about um, the depth of it, you know? And I think that when often people would say, you know, when I was a kid, I never understood Leonard Cohen. Like that, that mumbling, I've been that thinking mumbling. about, I've been thinking about Leonard Cohen since you started talking about a voice. <laughs> I was thinking another great yeah. Canadian and what a yeah, voice. Yeah. I mean, as a kid, I was always like, 
I didn't quite get it because his voice was so, well, anybody could sing like that, couldn't they? And then people would be so into it or Tom Waits even, you know, and I'd be like, yeah. it wasn't until I really sort of like, it's it, that's the best thing about music to me too, is the idea that what I liked when I was 20 it changes by 30 and 40 and 50. Well, I think it's very much like it's it's very much like books, isn't it? You like different books yeah. at different times of your life, and then you go back to books. And it's not that the book was is bad or or better or worse. It's just that you are different. You've changed. Yeah. You're traveling you, through life and changing. You've just you've just nailed it on the head about music, too. Because there are stuff you'll go back to that was, you know, you're you were obsessed with at 14 years old. And sometimes you go, this still holds up. And other stuff you go, I think I had to be 14 years old to enjoy this. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. It was awesome then. And that's true for yeah. books and that's true for movies. I mean, a lot of us have to have that sort of, you know, that 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 movie that we loved when we were a teenager. And now it's basically the dorkiest thing imaginable. It's just the nature of what we go through. So, but uh, I know that was a very long-winded sort of, uh, but you guys tend to sort of tap into things and talk about things that I, 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 I'm really excited and interested in. So... It's hard that's... for me just to kind of go like I'm listening to this. I'm reading. No, that's that. fine. That's, yeah, that's a good. This say is what it. you want. Yeah. yeah, this is what you yeah. want in a podcast. We always say people often sort of apologize for giving long responses. You think no, that's exactly what you want in a podcast. Well, right? I know. I, I, talk. I, I ran. A, I did my own sort of chat thing. I I kind of refused to call it a podcast because it felt like it was just me on YouTube talking to my friends during COVID, and uh, you know I just sort of like. I was the guy standing backstage with Blas Elias from Slaughter, who would I I'd stood in line to see them play, you know, in a hockey arena in Canada. And I'm like, so I'm standing there and he, you know, he's telling me just some random story about touring with Kiss. And I'm like, dude, if I was 14, I'd be like, what? You know, and I have so many Kiss fan friends who'd be like so excited to hear this story. So I just thought I've got to, you know, have these conversations. Howard from Heart, who's been around, you know, forever, you know, his stories are or endless. So I just wanted to talk to my friends. And again, I like the story of like, I was, I was just telling the story the other day of how I, I read all those rock books and I, and I read, I read um, Rod Stewart's was, was amusing to me because it was kind of like, well, I was 15 and picked up a microphone and I became Rod Stewart, the legend, the end, but it goes <laughs> on. Right? It's sort of like, there really, there really isn't a sort of mishap other than a bunch of divorces and stuff like that, which is sort of like, he seems okay with. Um, there isn't that sort of like, you know, like that, the best stories are the ones where you kind of did this, like the Beastie Boys documentary I just recently watched. And there's like a very sort of like, whoops, and then kind of the rebuild and that, that yeah. those are the compelling stories, not to dis, uh, to, to make light of Rod's story. I think that no, we no, all there's a whole Rod Stewart. Yeah. There's a whole arc thing of, um, I think it's Kurt Vonnegut has got a thing or did a thing where it's this arc of storytelling and you have to yeah you, you, the, the fall and you're in the pit or something and you climb out at the end of those are the you know it's one of the in the, in the third stories. act of the film when the yeah. the real sort of yeah you know and then the, and then the rebuild at the end yeah no it's a yeah. it's it's part of the thing but with rod it was sort of like you know i'm like suddenly reading a, a chapter about him uh you know uh, getting into buying and selling artwork and i'm like this is completely unrelatable to me as a <laughs> like i I've bought artwork, but I, you know, it's, it's, you know, I had to kind of like think about it where Rod's like, yeah, yeah, put it in the warehouse with the, with the, you know, with the, <laughs> with the Monet. Yeah. yeah, with the Monet. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm like, cause it was part of the thing when Metallica and all that got to that level where I suddenly had to yeah. watch Lars Ulrich selling his, you know, buying and selling artwork. I'm like, I don't want this from my heroes. I, I no, mean, you don't Rod, want Stewart, to see I, like that. Rod Stewart, I kind of expected from, cause he's Rod, he's Sir Rod Stewart. It's like, yeah, okay. Well, he's, a, he's that level of, of of kind of rock star but with my with my you know my a band like metallica who who 
you know, we were so thrilled that they were playing the hockey arena and they didn't have a music video out and they'd only, you know, they just built this entire thing from the ground up. And then you're like, and then, you know, those, those sort of street urchins now have these art collections and stuff. You're like, okay, I, that's, that's cool, but I, I don't need to know about it. <laughs> no, I can eat completely. Yeah. Says, yeah. says the guy sitting in what looks like a guitar shop. <laughs> yeah. People always <laughs> assume I'm hiding out in a guitar shop. Yeah. My father put that wall in. He goes, we should put those guitars up. I go, what? He goes and finds this slat wall and comes over and puts it up. We order the things. The next thing I know, I've got this guitar shop in my house, is which is sort of uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's 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 part of the joy of uh, and, and sort of I'm kind of at a point now where it's like so many of these. Well, these these are just the part of it. There, a lot of it's in storage. Mm -hmm. There are things that I that I just forget that I have. And I'm like, I, at a point, I feel like I should just kind of, you know, kind of liberate them out into the world so someone can can make magic with them rather than just being sort of like ignored by me. I, I go out and go go out there regularly and pull things out and go, oh, I forgot about you. And it comes in the house for a while and gets knocked around. But generally, when I play live, I tend to play the same few instruments so a lot of these are just here like the eddie van halen guitar there is just yeah, something i picked that, yeah. up i picked up along the way long before he passed away and I'm, I'm like it's not the kind of guitar i play but it was like look at that thing i have to have that it's a piece <laughs> of art so, you know is that the ace freely one behind you the ace there's Freely. An ace Freely. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a paul stanley ice man right there yeah i can see one at the other side I a think gene, as well. that's a gene simmons axe bait it's a bunch of nonsense up here there's another yeah there's another paul stanley over there where is it it's over there you must that have one. a slash one, eh? You know, I don't. I don't have any slash guitars. I've I've often thought about it, but um, you know, I bought lots of Gibson guitars along the way because of our connection to Gibson. But uh, it always kind of felt a bit weird. I mean, he he does have some new stuff yeah. that's coming. He, he has a new Explorer coming out that I'm like, dude, I might have to get one of those. But um, yeah, it's it's you know, it's just it's, it's Stephen. Your favorite guitar is a slash signature. Yeah, I've isn't got it? one. I've got one right here. You probably can't see it, but that's his beautiful yeah yeah i mean yeah. they're beautiful guitars man oh, it's like, great, yeah you know when you live in his world it's fascinating when we're making records it'll just be kind of like randomly oh that's a 58 you know les paul <laughs> yeah and well, a 59 and then the and then the actual like appetite for destruction guitar the Derek, will yeah. just be it just be on a the Derek will just be sitting on a stand like as if it's just sort of like <laughs> and i go that's the guitar that's not like the copy it's like yeah. no that's the one from appetite for destruction it's it's bizarre so it's it's you know, and I'm I'm such a music nerd and such a, uh, uh, you know, that I know when I'm looking at something and going like, that's it, isn't it? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to him, it's just a guitar. <laughs> Maybe he, he understands the significance of it, but it's sort of like, you know, you know, it's just he, he doesn't really sort of baby them. It's sort of like they're just standing there on a stand. It could easily be bumped and knocked over. And a bad city. <laughs> they probably I assume to... they're insured. I assume they're insured. Yeah. Well, hopefully. Well, yeah. thank you so much. Talk thank you guys time. that was a lot thank of you. fun i'm uh, yeah. I, I enjoy talking about especially talking to writers i think that that's a whole other we'll we'll do another segment where we can just talk about what you guys do that you have to send me, yeah. send me some yeah. links to uh send me to some links to your work because i'd love to I, like i say i read a lot so i have a, like a few books around here actually that i was thinking there's a stack of comic books that i've gotten to know you know because people know i like comic books so they'll like hey dude i know you like comic books do you want to read my book i'm like please send it over and that's all stacked there in the sort of like, I have to get to this at some point. And then like, um, 
But then I, you know, people that I know who've written books, if I know that person, I go, well, I have to read that. So I often have a stack you, of like, do you physically, do you read physical books or do you prefer to do you read off a Kindle or your phone or what would you do? I've, I've, I've actually kind of like got a thing on my, on my iPad, but I've never gotten accustomed to it. I always travel, which can be a drag. Cause I often, if I'm going on like a long tour, I bring like multiple yeah. hardcover yeah. books and they, and they carry some weight. So yeah. So you've got like, but, you've um, got like your guitar cases, the, the amps, and then this big box full of books. And like that's pretty books. much. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lenny was like books. that. Lenny was like that. He would show up backstage. It was always the funniest thing to me because he would show up backstage with a, a bottle of Jack Daniels, a bottle of Coca-Cola and like a plastic bag full of paper bag, paperback <laughs> books. And he would sit there. There was chaos going around backstage. And he's just sort of sitting really? in the corner with his with his little readers on reading. I don't know if it's I don't know what he's reading, probably like a Western novel of some sort. And every now, but he's reading and every now and then he'd go like, no, it was World War Two, you know. And he would just be like, sort of like, he would comment on whatever was going on in the room, like, and I'd be like, this guy's like a superhuman or something like that. Yeah, he was, he was wow. such a cat. But he did eventually have a Kindle. I know that in the end. He, oh, really? Or an really? iPad. Wow. He had an iPad in the end, uh, apparently, or something like that, because yeah. he probably, somebody got him hip to it and he just said, oh, not to carry this plastic bag full of. A plastic bag? That's bag. so, so British, eh, Matthew? A plastic That's bag. That's so British, yeah. <laughs> carry, carry a bag full of, full of books. <laughs> Oh, yeah. just the great oh. oh he was he was the absolute greatest we miss him to death he was and there was never never a dull moment i mean you know i know there was more going through his system at any time than than the entire <laughs> room put together but i would see people like we'd be standing backstage and he'd have a drink and just having the most normal conversation and guys would be like blah, 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 yeah. just, <laughs> just drunk out of their mind and i and i'd look and lenny would just look over at them like Anyway, you know, he just finished whatever he was talking about. He was like, and you're like, I go, that's a professional. This guy's the sixth degree black belt of, of like, you know, well, I mean, yeah, eventually it, yeah. he, well, that's, he had a well, good that's life. when, you know, that's when, yeah. you know, people are drinking too much and they're, they're sober when everyone else is drunk because they've been drinking all day and it doesn't hit. Them. That's exactly it. Like Lemmy's one of those guys. It was like, it was a profession. He, uh, he had a <laughs> yeah. skill at it. Yeah. That's it for today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please take a moment to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. And don't forget to subscribe. Let us know if you have any questions or things you would like us to cover in future episodes. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash rockpaperswordspodcast and Twitter at rock underscore swords. And you can find out more about our books on matthewharfey.com and stephenamackay.com. The theme music is written and performed and copyrighted by us. Until next time, a rock, paper, swords. It's goodbye from me, Matthew Harfey. It's goodbye from me, Stephen A. Mackay. And remember, whatever action and adventure you have going on in your life, be kind, stay safe, and happy reading. Good wife you would be.